Good afternoon, everyone. It is so awesome to be here with you today. And again, isn't it great just worshiping God together, coming together with your friends, your family, God's people, and just being encouraged in the Lord. Well, my name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we are just so glad that each and every one of you is here with us today. And again, I just want to highlight a couple things before I dive into my message as we continue our series, How to Be a Better Lover. I'll get into that here in a second, but I want to uh, remind you again, I hope that you had a really awesome leap day yesterday. Did you do some good things on the 29th, maybe get a few more things accomplished? You know, it's great to have that extra day in the year. Who could use an extra day every week if they gave it to you? That would probably be helpful to you. Uh, I know that it's very positive for me too. Well, I, I got a joke about this, but who here knows that the Lord gives and the Lord also takes away? Because next Sunday is is where we spring forward and we lose that hour of sleep. So I want to encourage you, encourage you to prepare for that this week and set your alarm clocks, move your stuff ahead on Saturday, and, and come refreshed, excited about what God is going to do here. And as well, Mission Sunday is coming up in three weeks from today. Wow, it's hard to believe that. But I want to encourage you to pray about, not only are we going to celebrate culture, not only are we going to hear great stories about what our, our, our missionaries are doing all around the world, but it's going to be an opportunity for you to pray about investing in each uh, one of our missionaries. And maybe I'm going to, we're going to do something a little different this year. Maybe God will lead you to uh, give a monthly donation to one of the, the ministries. We'll, you'll be able to do that. Or, or maybe a one-time gift or, or something like that. We have great, great people that are not only connected to our, our house, uh, uh, Wilner and Leonora Pegling with Lighthouse Missions Ministry. They're here today. They're a part of this body doing great things both here in Calgary and in the Philippines. Mark and Lisa Honorat with Haiti Arise. Uh, they're doing wonderful things in Haiti. And there's many more that we're going to talk about. Tim Smith, Worship Without Borders, taking worship uh, all around the world and training pastors even in uh, uh, Muslim countries. He's having an influence and an impact. There's just a lot of great things. So pray about what God would have you to do here today. And again, if you are here for the first time or this is one of your, uh, you've only been here a couple times, I mean, in the last uh, few weeks, again, we just want you to feel welcomed and a part of what we're doing. In the seat back in front of you is our connection cards where we put anything and everything on there. And if you want more information about our church, what we're doing, we encourage you to fill that out and we will give that stuff to you. So today, I am continuing our series called How to Be a Better Lover. And again, I want to remind everybody, if you're new here, I don't want to scare you and be like, oh my goodness, what is he going to be talking about today? Is he going to be talking about sex and romance? And I want to rest assure you here today that that is not where we're going to take this, even though, even though I want to say this, if you follow the principles that we've been teaching and I'm going to teach today, it will improve that part of your life as well. I, I, I believe that. However, we are going to talk about having a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God. And here's what my premise is, that people tend to fall into one of two groups. Here's this. We have a great desire to grow in our relationship God, with God. We want to know him more, but the busyness of life, the the, the challenges just of our own distractions and all that, sometimes we can feel like we're not quite where we want to be. You ever been there where you're just like, 
Um, I, I wish my relationship was deeper. And maybe you're feeling a little bit of frustration. Well, I today want to help you remove that frustration and turn it into joy and fulfillment. Secondly, you could be in the group of people that are like, my relationship with God is awesome. And I commend you. And I'm like, that is exciting. But we want to also help you take it to another level because there's always more to learn when it comes to walking with God. So I want to talk about uh, 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 my relationship with my wife a little bit here today that, that I remember when we were first married. She's cringing a little bit because she has no idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> now, I already promised you that it's not about sex and romance, but I was newly married, and like most newly married people, I had worked all day, and I was excited to come home. And so I was driving, and I remember I, after driving home, I walked into the house per usual and leaned in to give my young wife a kiss and a hug. Now you're kind of going, where is this going? You told us it's not going there. Only to see her recoil from me faster than Usain Bolt in the 100-meter dash in the Olympic Games. <laughs> and here's what her, her question was to me. What did you eat for lunch today? Your breath stinks. Actually, you, 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 you just, you kind of stink. And until you take care of that sink, you're not getting any closer to me. Hey, am I being real about marriage and life here now? The, 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 we were having a real conversation. The honeymoon was over. You know what I mean? It was like, we're getting real here today. Now, like most people, you know, I, I, I've forgotten what I'd had today and, and, and that day. And what I had done at lunchtime is I'd had a big, fat, juicy cheeseburger with full of raw onions. <laughs> now, I love, I, to me, I'm, I'm just going to come out here and say this. This may not be your thing, but it's my thing. That when you have a hamburger or a cheeseburger, in my opinion, it's not a real hamburger or cheeseburger without raw onion on it. That's what makes the burger. Now, some people are like, I don't like onion. That's too bad. That's, that's, you're missing out. I'm just telling you, it is great. Or, or so, so the onion had just permeated my whole being. It was like coming out of my, my pores. And, and, and it's, you know, it's like when somebody eats garlic and they, and they have fettuccine alfredo with garlic bread and they, we forget about it sometimes. And, and, and to those around us, it can kind of become something where there's a little bit of funkiness or like, I really don't want to be close to you. There's the desire for closeness. But something hinders or blocks it from happening. You see, today that's what I want to focus on in my message is we're going to talk about how to become closer to God. That we want to be closer to God. That I think if I ask most people here today that we want to experience more of his presence in our life. We want to know him. We want to sense him around us. And we not only want to see it in our own personal lives, but I believe that we would like to see God's presence more dynamically manifested in our church. Can I hear an amen for that? But the question is, why do we not always experience that? Or why are there times when we feel that distance between God and his presence? Well, last week, Pastor Peter did a bang-up job of talking about holiness and the importance of holiness in the life of those of us who are following Jesus. And today I want to continue to talk about holiness, but I'm going to take it in a different, little different direction. And here's the verse that I want to kick things off with today 
in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, and it says this, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Whoa. Yeah, that just came and just smacked me right upside the head when I was reading it, kind of like, what, we, we, what, there's a chance that we may not see the Lord. Why is that? Well, we have to understand this. When we begin to unpack, uh, unwrap this and, 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 and look at what the Bible's talking about, we have to, first of all, understand about who God is and his nature, that, 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 that God is holy, that he's completely holy, and everything around him is holy. And his holiness, if we were to talk about it, well, what does that mean? It means this, that God is completely righteous and good at all times. That he always has good intentions. He has a, a, a good point. He always acts the right way at the right time. There is no part of him that is incongruent with that. You see, he's not double-minded, he's not divided, he's not wishy-washy in who he is and what he's called to do and the way that he loves each and every one of us. He's completely whole, therefore he is holy. But here's the challenge. You probably figured this out, that there's a lot of parts of our lives that aren't holy. There are things that we, 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 we tend to sometimes struggle with. And, it's, and I want to say this, that in, in the very beginning, it wasn't your fault. You and I, were both, we were all born in to sin. We, 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 we have this sin nature that is constantly at, at war with the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it's, and it's battling. And, and the problem with that is that, that, that God, who is holy, cannot be in the presence of sin and, or unholiness. And so what does he do? He sent Jesus, his one and only son. Who's thankful for Jesus? As we talk about Easter, he sent Jesus down to earth to die on the cross in place of us and shed his blood and cover us with his righteousness and make us now holy again. That it's through the work of Jesus that we can be holy. But here's what we have to understand when it comes to walking in holiness. That it means for us that we must accept what he has done and walk in what he has done. That, that really, for us to be holy means to be separated or, as Peter shared with us last week, sanctified unto God. That we walk without defilement before him. That we put it on and we pursue his holiness. I love the words that are used here. It says, if you want to see God... If we want to see, what does the word see mean when it comes to this context? Well, the word see, now, when you look at it in the Bible, there's many different types of translations for the word for seeing or, or looking at things. Who here knows that we can see things many times from a distance? Where we, we look at, oh, there's somebody across the room. Or, we, we are, or we're traveling and we say, hey, look, I, I, I see that there's, uh, you know, uh, those trees up in the mountain. Or maybe you're flying in an airplane and you look out your window and you can see down on the earth. And you're like, oh, look, there's a car on the highway. You know, sometimes I kind of have these weird thoughts like, I can see them in the plane. Can they see me in the car? It's kind of a, you know, you kind of who's watching who here. But the reality is, is there's not much detail to it. But what Paul, or, or the writer of Hebrews here, was talking about, as he says, that when we talk about the word see, that it's where, where we see things in incredible detail. 
where we see the, 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 the minute things about the person or the, 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 the situation, where we, we see the fullness of who they are. That not only is it, could this word be translated to see, it would be to experience, to be able to experience the full measure of their presence. And so when, when the writer of Hebrews says that we're called to, that, that to live a holy life for that those who do not do it will not see the Lord, he's calling us into seeing the fullness of who God is. I believe this. There are remarkable things that God wants to reveal to you and to me. I talked about that in the secret place, that there are things that God wants to share with you and to our church, but it comes from a pursuit of his way of thinking and living. But then he uses this word that we, we, we tend to struggle with in, in modern uh, our Christian culture as the word work. He says, he says this for those work at living a holy life that we're called to, to work at it. That, that, that the work here is a, is a description of that there's effort that is involved. And, and, and I know a lot of times we, we understand when it comes to theology that we, we, we are not, that, that we don't, we're not saved through our works, but we're saved by grace. But we're also told in James that we're called to work out our salvation daily, that this work is not about performance, but about practice. That, we, that, that, be, that if you love somebody, that if, you, that if you want to be with somebody, you continue to work at growing closer to them. Amen. Who here knows that a good marriage takes what? Work. You know, those who think it just happens miraculously are still waiting for a lot of things to happen <laughs> miraculously. It takes work. You see, I believe that we're to call the place high value on holiness, and it's not about legalism, about checking the boxes of, did I do this right? Did I do that right? Am I always doing everything right where we're worried and we're living in fear and we're wondering, am I measuring up? But it's about making holiness part of your lifestyle, something that you're constantly pursuing. I want to grow closer to God. I want to honor God. I want to live according to his word and his standard. And God, I, I'm just going to continue to give it my best every single day. Because here's what the cruel part of it is. Grace is given to us when our efforts come up short. And I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, when I first became a believer in Jesus, I wouldn't say I was really a follower at that time. It was something that I was learning about because my mom became a Christian for those who have heard me talk about my testimony in my life. When I was about 11 or 12 years old, she became a Christian, and we had gone from hardly ever going to church to attending church quite regularly. Now, I wasn't very excited. I've shared this about going to church. I didn't really want to do that. This whole Christianity thing was really inconvenient for the things that I like to do on Sunday mornings, especially watching football, NBA basketball. I mean, that, that just was a change that I wasn't really that excited to make. But I, but I soon discovered there were some fringe benefits to church gatherings as a teenage boy. You see, my pastor frequently, and you're going to laugh because this is not holy or righteous at all, would frequently ask us to join hands with our neighbor in church. Well, I was like, wow, there is a great opportunity here to, to experience the benefits of dating without actually dating. 
This was before ChristianMingle.com was even available. You see, I would, I would pray, I would pray at night that my mom would sit next to certain families in our church, that she would, she would join us next to them so that I would have the opportunity to pray together with the people that were beside me. Come on, am I being real here, teenage guys? Woo! Now, more times than not, another person would sit in between me, like a mom or a dad, and so it was a hallelujah for that, too. <laughs> God knew. God was protecting all of us. You see, there are many things in life, and this is where I want to come to, that will attempt to come between us and our relationship with God. They can be selfish pursuits or distractions. That's what I was just talking about. It can be wrong attitudes or other areas of sin. But what I'm going to focus on today, what is going to kind of be the crux of this message is something that many times as Jesus followers we easily justify that can be a great barrier to experiencing God's presence and the closeness that we desire with the people that are most important to us in our relationships. And if you are going to be a better lover, you'll need to overcome this ruthless enemy to intimacy and healthy relationships. And here's what we're going to talk about today. And I know this is going to surprise you, but if you read the verses that I just read, it, you'll, it's there. It's called unresolved anger. Unresolved anger is an intimacy not only to your closeness with God, but with other people. You might be asking yourself, well, how does anger relate to holiness? Well, listen to what first, in 1 Timothy, what Paul gives, gives this instruction to believers everywhere, what he says. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted to God, free from anger and controversy. Free from anger and controversy. Now notice that Paul didn't say holding hands, but Paul said holy hands. That holy hands lifted to God. When you pray as an act of worship, you so with holy hands that are stretched forth towards God. Well, why are we talking about hands here? Hands are very important. The significance of them in the word of God is important. They are seen as touch points between releasing the spiritual and the supernatural into our physical everyday lives. Well, how, 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 why would I say something like that? Well, where, where, where do we come through that? Well, just in, in, in the natural, that, that power and strength is released through our hands, isn't it? We lift things, we carry things, we grab a hold of things. We reach out when our kids are about ready to go where they shouldn't go. We grab them with our what? Our hands. But they also are what we would use in a figurative way to say, what do you do when somebody's struggling or having a difficult time? We do what we want to lift them up. We pick them up. We pull them up. Now, that's not actually where we're literally pulling them up, but it's a physical representation of a spiritual thing of how we can impact somebody's life. Amen. When it comes to the word of God, that it says this in Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind on earth will what? Be bound in heaven. It's a sign of tying something together in our hands, that you can loose things and tie things. In 1 Timothy 4, 14, 
Paul is writing to Timothy, encouraging him. He says, don't neglect the gift that was given to you by what? The laying on of what? Hands. Holy hands. Without anger or controversy. You see, the Jewish audience that Paul initially was writing these words to had been taught to watch what they touched. They'd been taught to watch what touched them or what could be defiled that would defile them by what, what, what had touched them. And see, he says, look, you want to make sure that your hands, your person, who you are, your hands are that, that your hands are free from anger and controversy. The word controversy could also be interp- interpreted, and I read this in many other translations, disputes, wrath, or fighting, other forms of anger. You see, there seems to be a correlation between holiness and anger, that they can't work together, that they're not meant to be together, that holiness and unrighteous anger are incompatible. King David made this same connection when he wrote Psalms chapter 24, verses 3 to 4. Listen to what he says, and this is out of the ESV version. It says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand, listen to this, in his holy place? This is God's presence. Here's what it says, he who has clean, what, hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false or does not swear deceitfully. Now, when I was a kid, things were a bit different than we experience today. We didn't have, you remember, iPads and Game Boys and video game systems. How many of you would relate to me that when you were a kid, it was go outside from sunup to sundown? In fact, if your, your mother probably, uh, if you didn't leave the house, was booting you out of the house. It was like, you go out, you, you go do stuff. And there were only two rules. There were two rules that we had as a kid. Number one, the rule was this. You had to be home by when? By either sundown or dinner time, whatever came first. Because some nights when it was late, dinner could be a little bit later. You had to be home by dinner time. And rule number two was what? You, before you came to the dinner table, you had to what? Wash your hands. You had to wash your hands. Sometimes even your face a little bit. But mostly it was wash your hands. And what was amazing was how many times our parents had to remind us, hey, have you done what? Have you washed your hands? Because to come together, to be part of that community, to eat dinner together, meant you needed to have your hands cleaned. There's a statement that is not biblical that I think some people wish was biblical. It's called this, cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm here to tell you that is not a Bible passage. Some mother made that thousands and thousands of years ago, but it sounds really good. But I want to say this, holiness is godliness. That walking with God in holy, holiness is godliness. And so here's what David says. Clean hands, when he talks about clean hands, they represent what we do or our actions. How we treat people. How we respond to challenges or difficult situations. The, way, the, the, the actions that we do, the things that we speak, would actually, when he talks about having clean hands, are, are a, again, a physical picture of what we do spiritually, the actions that sometimes the, 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 they can be clean or dirty. So what would dirty hands be? 
Well, when we're not kind to people or we lash out in anger, we, we say things that we shouldn't, it makes our hands dirty. And, and you have to understand that David's painting this picture because he was one of the greatest warriors who ever lived in the Bible. And he understood that as a warrior, after he would go to battle and he would fight and he would, he would get into these, these massive fights, that there would normally probably be blood on his hands or the hands of his warriors. But before they could come back into the community, before they could go to the temple and worship the Lord, they had to clean their hands. They had to, they had to, they had to go through a process to, to be cleansed and holy again to be able to walk in the presence of, the God, of God in the community. Clean hands. You see, when we attack people or lash out at others in, uh, in moments of anger or rage, it defiles our hands and our heart. Because the second thing he said is, it requires a pure heart. What does the pure heart represent? Well, it represents our thoughts and our motives. What's underneath everything? Who, who here would say that what I'm sharing with you right now is truth, and that's this. We can be pleasant and even nice to people on the outside, but our hearts can be full of anger and sometimes even hatred towards them. Well, how are you doing today, brother? Good to see you. Go jump off a cliff. You know, when things aren't right, when things aren't going well, when, when think we're offended, I mean, there are, are all sorts of, who here would be mortified if other people could see what goes on inside of your thought life, <laughs> your heads? When you're driving, how many people would be dead? They would no longer be driving a car. They would no longer have arms or there'd be bad, massively bad things with what, if, it, if it all came out. I don't want to know what my kids think of me all the time. They sure don't want to know what I think of them sometimes. <laughs> you see, and if we're not careful, we can allow resentment to build up towards our spouse, our, our friends, and even God. Because here's what we need to understand. Anger starts in our heart. It begins in, inside of our heart. You see, the law that, that, that David and Moses and others adhered to was a, a law that dealt with people's actions, the things that they needed to. But when Jesus came onto the scene and he gave us grace, it began to deal with our hearts, our motivation, the inside. Because God knows that's really what goes on in our hearts that controls our actions, our attitudes. You see, murder is an action that takes root in the heart with the seed of hatred. Well, I, Pastor, I, know, I don't murder people. <laughs> I know. Jesus says if you hate somebody, you might as well have just murdered them because that's what you did in your heart. He looks at it the same way. Well, don't, don't actually do that, please. <laughs> They're in the same category. You see, both outbursts of anger and anger hidden in our hearts cause breakdowns in relationships. I want you to understand this today, that many of us are suffering with with division in our relationships. We're suffering with, with division sometimes even in what we feel towards God because we have unresolved anger. We've been angry towards our spouse or our friends and it creates separation because it causes hurt, pain, 
and a breakdown of trust. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20, he, he writes this. He says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. But here's what I believe is a challenge for us. That anger falls into what I call the acceptable category of sins for Christians. Now, we're okay with the little bit of lying sometimes. If it's, you know, you don't want to hurt people. You don't want to see them, you know, unnecessarily. You don't want to be that truthful all the time. And so with a little bit of lying, we can say, God, forgive us. But we're not going to judge people for that. Or how about sometimes having a wrong attitude? You're having a bad day. Things aren't going well. You know, it's a little bit. Sometimes we're like, it's okay. You know, we're adultery, man. That's never okay. That's horrible. Murder? <laughs> you can't do that. But, but, but you know what? Uh, temporary unforgiveness? When I say temporary, you know, sometimes you need some time to kind of process through it. You might need a day, a week, a month, a year. You'll forgive them, but you're going to take, you know, your time. But at the top of that list, sadly, is anger. Sadly, unrighteous anger many times is tolerated or an acceptable sin within our community, within our lives. We excuse it. We sometimes even justify it because it does not rank up there with the more vulgar sins in our opinion. However, when you read this, when you study the Bible, you see the root of many poor and destructive decisions came out of anger because they didn't honor God. How about Moses lost his privilege of going into the promised land? Why? Because of his anger issue. Because he dishonored God in front of the people by being angry. We know that that Cain murdered Abel. Why? Because he had anger that he didn't, change, he didn't check. The, 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 the God spoke to him and said, hey, check yourself. Watch yourself. Deal with what's growing on in your heart. If you don't, it's going to lead to something bad. And he ended up killing his brother. I believe there's a great cost to us and those around us when we allow anger to rule our emotions. If we want to become better lovers of God, and we want to relate more to the people around us. We need to resolve and overcome anger. And I say this, that because our hope is in Jesus and not ourselves, anger is not something we manage, but a spiritual issue that by God's grace can be removed from our lives. I want to give you hope today. If you struggle with anger, you don't have to live with it. You don't have to manage it. You don't have to accept it. But by God's grace, you can crucify it. So where does anger come from? Why, why this battle? I want to give you a few thoughts, and then we're going to talk about how to deal with it. The root cause of anger is the accumulation of tension from past hurt or guilt. You see, we tend not just to get angry out of the blue. There's usually something that has gone on in our life, something that has been allowed to fester. Either we've been hurt, we've been hurt by somebody or, or something, and we, we haven't really dealt with it fully. And, and so in those moments when it's touched and, and, and somebody hits that scar, we react to it. Or we feel guilty about the way we've treated other people or decisions we've made, and we're ashamed of it, and then we're reminded at times of our 
shortcomings and it can create anger. Well, where do these come from? There's four points that I want to talk about today really quickly. First of all, anger can come from rejection, the pain of rejection. Who here knows there's nothing like the sting of being rejected? It can be subtle like things like not being included by a group at school, work. And, I, and I'm going to say this. Maybe sometimes some of you have even felt rejection at church from people. It can hurt. That re- rejection is painful. It can be the hurt of not being selected for a team. Maybe you got cut unjustly. Maybe you felt like you were better than some of the other people. Or being passed over for a promotion at work. Maybe it can be that you've just gone through some downright hurtful things in a marriage or a past relationship where it's turned sour or you've experienced the pain of being disowned by a parent or other family members. If allowed to linger, it can turn into resentment that poisons all of our other relationships. You see, rejection gives us a false view of ourselves, others, and God. It stirs up jealousy. It leads to envy and is manifested many times in insecurity. I'm telling you today that if you're experiencing those things, God has something greater and better for you to live. That his Holy Spirit, that Jesus came and died for you so that the Holy Spirit could produce his fruit in you with just peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can I hear an amen to that? There's a story in the Bible of King Saul and the priests of Nob. God had rejected Saul as king because of things that he'd done. Who here knows that's a pretty high place of rejection and had chosen David to be a successor. Saul immediately became jealous and suspicious of David and those who were connected to him. And I, and I, and I want to pause here for one second. If you are suspicious of people, continually suspicious of people, it might be a sign that there are some unresolved anger issues in your life. You see, we're not to be suspicious. See, when we're full of the goodness and the love and the grace of God, we're to believe people. We're to give people the benefit of the doubt, not be suspicious. And and we know that Saul was battling a, a hurt. And how do we know that? Because... David and his men came to the priests of Nob and they, they, they were, were asked for some bread and they needed a sword as they were heading on, a, on an adventure and they, they, the priest gave them the sword of Goliath who knew nothing about what had gone on between Saul and David. They were innocent people. David was one of Saul's right-hand men. It, it should have never been a problem. But Saul came to the priest and said, you have conspired with David to take my kingdom away from me. And no matter how much they pleaded, what ended up happening, Saul responded in anger and murdered the whole tribe of the priests of Nob. Because he believed they were against him. Rejection. Number two, we can battle with anger for unwilling to accept what cannot be controlled. Oh, yeah. Who here knows it's frustrating at times to face situations and circumstances that are out of your control? Who here, if you're honest, you like to be in control? Some people might, if they were being honest, call you a control freak. Saying that you like to make sure everything is just this way and that way. And, 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 and if you're in there, do you sometimes struggle when things don't go your way where you get upset a little bit? Maybe a little angry. I I know I I can have those moments. You see, there's a lot of different places this can manifest itself. It can be that you don't like, you don't like who you are. You don't like 
things around you like your appearance, that you, you wish that you were, you were taller or shorter or skinnier or that you had more muscles or that you, you were, you know, I remember when I was in grade school, I, I had two things that really bothered me. I wasn't tall enough. I wanted to be six foot six and I was five foot two. And I had crooked teeth. I know you're like, that's weird. That's what I, I couldn't control it. Maybe there are family members that you have in your family that you wish weren't part of your family sometimes. Brother, sister, we're going to leave it there. Maybe other people's decisions. You don't like the decisions that they make. And it, it starts to, you just, you just want to, you don't want to change it. But, you, but if you realize you can't change what they're going to do, the only thing you can change is what you are going to do. Maybe you get frustrated with those insane drivers that we have in our city. Or you're like me. Here's a big one that I've battled with for most of my life. That I finally feel like I'm getting victory at 50 years old. Our inept sports officials. (laughs) I can't believe the things that they do. Or my team, when they don't perform the way that I think that they should. You know, I, I used, to just, it used to just make me so mad. And I couldn't play. They wouldn't, didn't invite me to play on the team. I don't know why. <laughs> How about number three? Hurt over unjust favoritism. Maybe you grew up in a home where a brother or sister was favored over you. Maybe you've missed that promotion at work because... The job was given to a boss's buddy, you know, somebody that bamboozled themselves up to them and cozied up to them. And they're not that good, but they're, 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 they're in that position. They, don't, they shouldn't be there, but they are. Or maybe you, 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 the coach's daughter received all the playing time on the soccer team, and you've, you've experienced favoritism. I believe that every one of us has experienced favoritism at some point in our life. Maybe you were discriminated against because of your skin color, your gender, age or religious beliefs. See, when these things happen, we can become distrustful. We can become angry towards people or groups of people or or situations, and it can fester in our hearts and produce things that are not right. It's the reason Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery in the Bible. They became resentful of their father's favoritism towards him. The last one I want to talk about, and there could be more, is that we can sometimes face anguish over false accusation. I don't think there's anything that hurts more than being falsely accused of something. Before Christmas, I experienced this firsthand. It took me a while to understand why this bothered me so much. I was down in the States visiting family, and and, and it took me a while to recognize what was going on, but I went to watch uh, one of my distant family members had a, a grade school basketball game. It was third graders playing basketball. And, 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 and I love basketball, and it was cute. It was, it was girls. They, they were awesome. Their ponytails were flying up and down the court, and they were laughing. They were having a good time, and some were going the wrong direction. Some were going the right direction. You know, I, I, I'd sit there, and the girl would be dribbling right in front of her, and they're like, play defense. And all they had to do was, like, tap it away, but that ball just kept dribbling right there. But I made a decision. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to be encouraging. I'm not going to try to be the coach on the sideline. I'm just going to just 
be there and have a good time. And in and, and about the third quarter, all of a sudden, another family member said, hey, we don't do that here. And I was like, well, who are you talking to? Do what? Are you talking to me? Yes. Jokingly, it was the dad of the girl that was playing. He said, hey, do you want to step outside and we can have a more of a discussion? And I was just like, what? what's going on here? Now, he was kind of joking, but then he wasn't. And, and it was like, you know, we, you need to, these are kids and you need to be more supportive of them. And I, and I hadn't said a word. And it just agitated me, and it bothered me for even work. And what hurt the most, and I, and I, and I think sometimes this is where the enemy tries to come and, and, and get a hold of our hearts. So the problem that hurt the most was this is an area that I had struggled with so much in the past that I'd done. I'd made a conscious effort to work on it. And I knew that I hadn't done anything. And it just irritated me. And it festered in my heart and my spirit. So how do you overcome anger? First of all, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to learn to admit when you're angry. You see, one of the things that when we're angry, a lot of times we don't want people telling us that we're angry. Because it just makes us what? More angry. I know my family will say, Dad, are you upset? Because when I'm upset, I get this really kind of brow twists a certain way. And they'll be like, Dad, are you upset about something? I'll be like, no. And they're like, "Uh, yes, you are. And I'm like, no, I'm not. (laughs) You see, we got to learn to be honest with ourselves and with other people. When we're feeling angry, we sometimes need to say, look, I just need a second. I need a moment. I'm being challenged by feelings of anger. I don't want to give in to it, but I just need to step back for a second. Or maybe sometimes we just need to be able to say, you know what, this has really made me angry. And Jesus, I need your help right now. God, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. We need to own our responses to things. You see, the the challenge many times is is we deny that we have these issues in our life. And the more you're able to recognize and admit where things, these potential issues are, the less likely they're to grab a hold of your heart. Secondly, we need to learn to respond and not react. We need to learn to respond to things. You see, reactions are quick emotional decisions that are based not necessarily on facts. When we feel betrayed, we feel hurt, we feel feel like somebody hasn't done something right, we tend to want to respond in those same kind of responses. We try to mirror the behavior of the offending party, but it never produces the righteousness that God desires in our life, and it doesn't bring healing to the relationship. You see, responses are decisions to act based on a deeper understanding of the situation, or listen to this part, in submission to the will of the Holy Spirit. You did treat me bad, but I don't have to react to it. By God's grace, I can respond. You can kill them with kindness, with God's grace and his mercy in your life. Responses focus on what decisions are going to bring up, that what decisions are going to bring about the best outcome, and, and should be focused on resolving the situation, not making it worse. 
Sometimes it's necessary to step back from the situation and come back later for better results. Hey, if you feel like you're getting angry, things are getting out of control, it's not an excuse to never deal with it. But sometimes you might say, hey, I just need some moments here to kind of pull myself together. Parents, I'm telling you with your kids, sometimes you need to call a timeout on yourself. Because when we do things in anger, it creates hurt, division, and breakdown. I've learned that each time I react to an issue in anger, it produces damage to my relationships and guilt in my own heart. It might feel good for a moment, but the desired victory quickly fades. Number three, take your thoughts and emotions captive. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, take every thought captive. Too many times we allow negativity to live in our heads rent-free. You see, I told you that, that, that anger doesn't just start as an outburst. It begins as a seed form in our heart. It's things that we replay in our mind, offenses, things that we think are, are not right. And we've got to learn how to take those things captive. We have to remind ourselves that we're in a spiritual battle. And you have to understand this, that you make a choice every time you respond to situations a certain way. Don't ever make the excuse that I couldn't control myself. I couldn't help it. Because I believe the Bible where it says where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. That God always gives us an opportunity to choose. But we've got to learn how to take those thoughts captive. We need to renounce what is false, number one. Number two, remove what doesn't belong there. And number three, replace it with something positive and truthful. Don't quit fighting for the truth. If I can have Margot come up here, I'm going to wrap this up. We need to, number four, deal with issues quickly. I said sometimes you need to take a timeout. That timeout shouldn't be a year. It shouldn't be months. It shouldn't be next weekend. It shouldn't be, it should be, I need a time out for a moment to get myself under control. But then we deal with it quickly. Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. God says, hey, when you, you, you deal with things, be what Matthew 18 says. Go to your brother. Go to your sister. Go to your son. Go to your parent. Go to them and talk to them. Don't wait for tomorrow, what can be done today? Forgive liberally and give to God what you can't control. And lastly, I want to say this. If you're really struggling with this, and I know that I've even had to take my own advice. I've heeded this even in the last couple of years. Sometimes you need to go get some outside help. When you realize that this thing is maybe gripping you and you're not controlling your emotions and you continue to respond a certain way in certain situations, sometimes you need help. It is recommended, in my opinion, that you talk to somebody who can help you, like a mature friend, a church leader, or a Christian counselor. Here's what I believe, though, you should make sure is at the foundation of those conversations, that there's someone who has a biblical foundation, number one. They're not going to just give you psychological mumbo-jumbo. And they have a relationship with Jesus. That they understand the word of God. You see, we're not here to manage 
our anger. We're here to eradicate it, to remove it. Remember, anger separates us from those that we love. I love what Peter wrote here as I close in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are not like that. Like what? Well, he's talking about people of the world. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Who is thankful today that you've been called out of darkness and you are now living in the light?